For the record, I do not cry like that, even though that I'm an ugly crier, so it's even worse. Hey, glad to be here with you today as we continue on in our series called Wisdom. Hopefully you enjoyed some of those videos. You get to see those every week and people doing funny, but kind of dumb stuff. And we've got a lot to cover today, and so I kind of want to jump right in. You know, the title of this message is called Better Than Gold, and I'll tell you where I got that uh, in just a second. So we are in the Bible in a Year series. We're progressing through. Um, a few of you have noticed that I skipped a book, and there's a reason for that. I skipped the Psalms. We are going to do the Psalms. It's going to be in the fall. I would not like a mutiny and, or any more emails about it, so I promise we will get there. I know my Bible does have the Psalms in it. I, I have that correct Bible, so we're to get there. In fact, we're going to spend eight weeks on prayer because we believe it's that important. Um, pastor Fred, who's our spiritual formation pastor, you know, when he was teaching our staff one time, he said, you know, all revolutions in the church have always begun with prayer. And so we're going to do that um, in the fall. But today we're going to talk about wisdom because it leads us uh, up into that. And today's message is entitled Better Than Gold, which is right from Proverbs 3. But I want to ask this question as we start off today. What makes something valuable? So just on a personal note, um, I drive a Jeep Wrangler 2000. She's beautiful, and uh, I never wash her. In fact, I wash her one time a year. And recently, I started looking to see, man, uh, maybe I should get a new car. And so I started looking at the prices, and I was like, nope, absolutely not, because they're super expensive. And I was like, maybe I'll just get an older car. And I realized some of those older cars are more expensive than the new ones. And so I was like, all right, I'll go back another 10, 20, 30 years. And so I looked at Toyotas and a bunch of stuff that are older, and those are more expensive. And I was like, how is that possible? So it got me thinking, as I was talking, uh, thinking about this message, is what makes something valuable? And there are a lot of different reasons to make something valuable. Who owns it? How old it is? What it's made out of? You know, what its future value is? And how it determines that? There are a lot of different things. But I wanted to talk a little bit about value real quick. And I wanted to give you a few different ways of looking at how things change in value. And the first I want to do is gas, since we're talking about cars. Here's how much gas was in 1970. 36 cents. Some of you were alive and driving and had hair back then, and you, were, you understood, like, this was amazing. Like, you could have a V40 in your car, and it didn't matter because it was five bucks to fill up. And today, it's like, you know, it's 110 bucks in a truck. It's 80 bucks in a Jeep or something like that. It is so expensive. A lot of that's inflation. Some of it's just the cost of things going up. Here's about how much it is today, 410. And some of you are like, could you tell me that gas station? Because I would like to go there. I can't find 410 anywhere. And I looked at this about, you know, two weeks ago and I think it's gone up since then. It's probably actually more than that. So that is a massive inflation, more than 10 times in 50 years, right? What about Starbucks? A lot of you like Starbucks. You guys are willing to pay $4.45 for the best drink, which is a caramel frappuccino with extra sauce, in case you're wondering. That's the one that's pretty good. But we don't complain about this. We'll complain about gas. But you know how much it would be for a gallon of this stuff? Can we put that up there? $35.60 per gallon. We complain about $4.10 for gas, but this is how much a gallon of the good stuff costs, okay? None of us complain about that. And then we got, since we're talking about cars again, 1966 Mustang. So I own a 1966 Mustang. Um, and part of the reason I own it is because I had a family member who was passing away and they gave it to me. And I'll tell you a little bit about that in just a second. But in 1966, um, it costs way less than this. And if you were to buy one in good condition today, it's about $35,000. And if you notice, we have a bunch of classic cars out there. Shameless plug for the car show. You should go out there. Don't touch, but you can look. It's a classic car show. But they're, they're, it's about 35 grand to pick up one today. Now, for me, what's, what's the price for mine? What's mine? It's priceless. 
And part of the reason is that is that, you know, my mom drove this Mustang in high school, and she drove it way too fast. I can't tell you that she drove over 100 or between 100 and 120, but that's what she didn't tell her dad that she didn't drive. So that's how much she, she put on it, and it kind of fell into disrepair. My grandpa, as he was dying of cancer, he fixed it up, and he gave it back to my mom, and my mom gave it to me once I bought my first house. And I've actually had people come up in my driveway because it's parked in my garage, and I've had people drive into my driveway, which I feel is a no-no for someone you don't know, and they say, how much is the Mustang? And I say, it's priceless. And they said, everything's for sale. And I said, you're right, it's $500,000. And they said, okay, that's a little steep. I said, well, I would have given you $495 if you wouldn't have parked in my driveway. That's on you, okay? <laughs> but it's obviously, it's, it's priceless to me. The value to me is priceless. Another thing about everything is for sale, no, that's not really true. What about Bitcoin? What about a, a, a term of, uh, or not a term, a uh, currency? You know, Bitcoin is $29,320.46 for one of them today. Do you know how much it was worth in 2015? Can we put that up there? $263. I'm so glad I invested $10,000 in 2015 because now it's worth $1.2 million. And if you're curious, no, I did not. I wish. I wish I did. But imagine the value of that. Now, what about the thing that probably most of us think of? There are all sorts of, you know, commercials about it. You hear about it on the news. You hear about it in infomercials and calls. Gold per ounce right now is $1,946. So the value of things tends to change with the times. It tends to change uh, with who owns it. It tends to change with how little of it there is. Now, the reason I want to talk about value is because Proverbs talks about how wisdom is far far more valuable than anything else, far more valuable than the car, than 50 pounds of gold, than 10,000 bitcoins. Wisdom is far more valuable than all of it. And one of the reasons we're doing this series is because we've, we've kind of said this is kind of an underlying theme. You know, it's okay to be born a fool. All of us are. But it's not okay to live like one, especially if you are a Christian. You know, Christians believe that Jesus Christ is wisdom personified. And the New Testament is rife with people who have said, we have the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit. And we should, not that we should be more intelligent than everyone else, but that we should have wisdom of God and use it in our lives. And our lives will look vastly differently than anything else. So Proverbs 3 is, is our theme verse throughout this entire series. And it says, this. Happy is the man or the woman who finds wisdom and who acquires understanding, for she is more profitable than silver and her revenue is better than gold. See what I did there with the, the message title? I know you're impressed. She is more precious than jewels. Nothing you can desire can equal her. Long life is in her right hand. In her left hand are riches and honor. Her ways are pleasant and all her paths are peaceful. She is a tree of life to those who embrace her, and those who hold on to her are happy. I mean, Solomon is the person who wrote the Proverbs, and he is probably beyond debate the wisest person who has ever lived, because when he asked God for something, he asked God for wisdom, to judge his people. And I kind of talked about this a little bit last week, but a quick recap. When Solomon became king, he was a very young man, possibly a teenager, and he followed, arguably, Israel's greatest king, his father, David, and he wanted to rule really, really well. And so he asked God, God gives him a, a dream, and he, he asks him, he asks the question that all of us hope God would ask us someday, what do you want me to give you? And Solomon asked for wisdom. 
And so Solomon becomes the wisest person who has ever lived, and he, he wrote thousands of, of Proverbs. We have about 31 of them uh, in our Bible, so you could read one every day, and if you did that, you'd become wiser and better for it. But oftentimes, the Proverbs, they have a lot of different types of wisdom in there. Even in one problem, proverb, you might have uh, marriage, you might have finances, you might have friendships, you might have foolishness and wisdom. And so we're going to go through three major areas that Solomon touches upon uh, today. And so we're going to go through three of them. Um, but we wanted to get this to you. This is called our series hope. Sometimes we have a serious thesis, but here's our hope for you in this series is that when you live wisely, it will help you navigate the way to a better life. And I was very quickly uh, uh, quick to kind of comment on this doesn't mean easier. It doesn't mean wealthier. It means better. I mean, some of the best times in my life were when I was broke. Some of you understand that, like when you had far less to manage. Some of the best times in my life is when I didn't know what came next because it was an adventure and I allowed God to be in control and I stopped holding on so, so tightly. You know, we do think that when you live wisely, especially if you are a Christian and you have the Holy Spirit and you use God's wisdom, not only for your benefit, but for the benefit of other people, your life is better for it. And so we're going to try to do that throughout this series. And we've spent one week in Proverbs, and we're going to spend today in Proverbs, and then we're going to move to the book of Job uh, for a couple weeks there. And then we're going to end with Ecclesiastes. So we asked this question, what is wisdom? Because there are a lot of people who say what wisdom is, it's more intelligence. You know, most people believe, especially scientists, you can't raise your intelligence points, like you're kind of born, that's kind of set. Um, but you can raise some other things. You can use wisdom, doesn't matter what your intelligence is or what your IQ says, you can use your wisdom and the wisdom of other people. It has nothing to do with education. It has some to do with experience, but you can think about it this way. You know, experience is not a good teacher at all evaluated experience is a good teacher. And that's part of what wisdom is. So wisdom is using past experiences, knowledge, and good judgment in the present for a better future. Just my kind of non-Christian version of what wisdom is. So in Proverbs 3, 1, we just read from Proverbs 3, but here's kind of what the other surrounding parts of Proverbs 3 say. King Solomon says this, he says, my son, and we're not sure if it's, he had a couple different sons. He had many, many, many wives, but he only had a couple sons, um, at least that he wrote to and then he loved and we know. And maybe it's to his son, but a lot of people believe that Proverbs were actually written uh, or recorded or compiled later on by a wise council of people in order to give them to the young youth of Israel. That Solomon's wisdom needed to be proliferated and given out. And so when they recorded these Proverbs, and part of the reason we think that maybe he said my son is maybe he's talking to the young youth or to the youth because that would be, you know, redundant. To the youth in Israel, here's my wisdom for you. To my son, don't forget my teaching. Let your heart keep my commands. You know, most of us think of wisdom as housed in the mind, but Solomon helps us know it's far greater than that. For they will bring you many days full life and well-being, and never let loyalty and faithfulness leave you. Tie them around your neck. You take them around with you all the, all the time. Write them on the tablet of your heart, a metaphor. Then you will find favor and high regard with God and people. Trust in the Lord. You probably know this one. Even if you're not a Christian, you might have heard someone say this, and this is where this proverb uh, comes from. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not rely or lean on, in some versions, your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge or know him, and he will make your paths straight. 
Do not be wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. You notice he's mentioned the heart several times. And you know, it would be easy to kind of parse out if David had the heart of God, because God said, I'm looking for someone after my own heart. We think that Solomon had the mind of God, but Solomon, the wisest person, he couches and houses wisdom, not just in the mind, but in the heart. And in the Bible, when people talk about the heart, they don't actually mean your physical beating, blood pumping, all the way through all of your body heart. That's not what they mean. The heart was often a synonym or a metaphor for the, the seat of your entire being, whatever makes you move, your will, your passion, your desire, everything. And so Solomon essentially says, wisdom has to penetrate to the deepest parts of the core who you are. In fact, if it just sits in your mind, it's going to be useless. You know, we could say it this way, wisdom may begin in the mind, but it must find rest in your heart in order to be useful. And I couldn't say it any better, so I found a quote by Charles Spurgeon, who, who never minces words. He says, you know, wisdom is the right use of knowledge. To know is not to be wise. Many men know a great deal and are all the greater fools for it. There is no fool so great as a knowing fool. But to know how to use knowledge is to have wisdom. I mean, he's basically saying you can know what to do, but if that wisdom sits on the shelf and if you never take it with you and put it in your bag and apply it, it is totally useless. And I love, I wish we could talk like this to each other today, but everyone would get offended. We're like, hey, you're a fool because you're a knowing fool. You're like, ouch, that kind of hurts. But Charles Spurgeon could do it back in their day. They were far less offensive, offended. And so he, he says, look, to be wise is to apply it. Same thing as Solomon says. So we asked ourselves three questions, or at least I asked three questions last week, and they're all W words. You know, what, what do I want to do, which is based on our wants, and that's where a lot of us operate. What can I do? Maybe there are constraints in our life, and that's based on worry. And this is the one we want to get to in this series, is that what should I do? And that's based on God's wisdom. And we kind of talked about last week how a lot of our problems could be solved if we just stopped for a second and asked ourselves, what should I do? You know, I, do the, I don't do that. I'm going to say I don't do this all the time. When I start a project, you ever been to Home Depot like 10 times? And you're just like, I could have gone once. And you get there, and I'm like screwing something in. I'm like, I need a lock washer. I don't have any lock washers. Are you serious? This 10 cents piece, I'm going to have to spend the $37 to go down to the gas station in my Jeep Wrangler to do this. And you get there, and you come home, and you go, cool, I'm going to get this six-inch bolt. I don't have one of those either. Oh, you know, you just you have to go back a bunch of different times. A wise person would say, what should I do? I should look around and see every part that I have. And some of you who go to Depot a lot, you're like, that's a really good piece of advice. I'm going to write that down. Because I hate spending all that gas money to go, but mostly it's the waste of time. And for me, maybe this is not you, I just feel dumb when I do that. I do. I'm like a smarter person than me or a wiser person would have asked the question, what should I do? I should gather all my materials. I should find out what I need. I should make a list. I should follow that list. I should drive one time, and I should go get everything that I can. Can you tell I'm passionate about this? It's super annoying. I hate this. So what should I do? So that's just a personal and possibly revealing example of this premise. But there are lots of ways that you and I should ask this question. Before I speak to someone, what should I do? I should check my composure. I should check where I am with God in my life. I should check to see if I'm tired or angry. Should I take this job? I mean, I should make a list of pros and cons. I should look at what it will do to affect my family and other people. I mean, there's so many problems that we could solve by just asking what we should do. 
So we're going to do that as we look at a couple different uh, Proverbs from Solomon. We're going to look at a bunch of different ones. So I kind of went and took a bunch of different Proverbs and tried to find some common themes because you can make a proof text out of one text. And so we don't want to do that. We want to take places that he has talked about multiple times or at least inferred. And so we're going to do the first one, which is called listening to the wise. Now, this will be the second week I talk about wise counsel. I started it last week, but Solomon talks about wise counsel so much that it's worth mentioning twice. The first one is this. We want to listen to the wise. What should we do? We should listen to people who are wiser than us. Now, I'm going to start this out by kind of an interesting one. You know, this is part of the reason you should or maybe should not read your Bible. So here's this first one. A beautiful woman who rejects good sense. Okay, so there are all sorts of ways you can get yourself into trouble by filling in the next part of this sentence. What happens if a beautiful woman rejects good sense? Well, here's what the Bible says. It's like a gold ring in a pig's snout. Wow. You know, in case some of you want this as a memory verse, can we put where we found that out? It's at Proverbs 11:22. in case you want this to make your new memory verse. And the women are like, I am so offended by this. Right? And don't worry, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. It talks about men too. It says this. This is in negative terms. Whoever loves discipline and knowledge doesn't say they. It says, but he who hates discipline or reproof is stupid. So it calls guys stupid. And it basically says to women, if you don't, if you don't use wisdom, it's kind of like lipstick on a pig. Like it's an equal opportunity offender. So that's the negative version of this. Solomon is basically saying, if you do not apply wisdom, it'll make you look ugly, even if you're beautiful, and it'll make you appear dumb, even if you're really smart. So that's a negative connotation for all this. So what would be the positive connotation? Proverbs 12, 15 says this, A fool's way is right in his own eyes, but whoever listens to counsel is wise. A person who is, is foolish has to talk themselves into it and has to make sure that everybody else believes that their way is the best way or the right way. You ever met someone like that who talks themselves and you're listening to them? You're like, I could find like 17 things wrong with that decision. And you've just been listening for 30 seconds. But a fool, they think their way is right. But a wise person, a wise person would ask someone else. Plans fail when there is no counsel, but with many advisors, they succeed. I mean, his, his advice is simple. Ask around before you do something. Here's what he says in Proverbs 11. He says, you know, without guidance, a people will fall. But with many counselors, there is deliverance. And it's not just in a personal sense. It's also in a communal sense. You know, here as a church, we've got elders, and we've got board of directors, and we've got wise people. And part of the reason we do that is because it was all up to one person or just two people or maybe three at the max. We may not be able to make as wise decisions as we'd like to. And so we gather people and we ask them to volunteer. And, and to our benefit, they have said yes. And they have given us wisdom that we do not have. Because we, we, we try to, to do this, is that with many counselors, with many opinions, with many people who have experience and knowledge and expertise and the desire to give it away, there is not only deliverance, but we can succeed as a church. And maybe you can succeed in your business and in your marriage and in your personal life if you ask four or five people, what should I do in this scenario? He says it kind of again in, in Proverbs 19.20. He says, listen to counsel and receive instruction. Most of us are not super good at that. 
And again, I talked about this a little bit last week, is that primarily, especially men, we want to know that we know how to do something, even if we don't know how to do that thing. (laughs) And so we probably need to receive instruction. Hey, will you teach me? You know, Jesus' disciples were masters at this. After they put their foot in their mouth and after they did it wrong first, they came back to Jesus and they said, hey, will you teach us how to pray? Hey, will you teach us how to be close to the Father? Hey, will you teach us what we're supposed to do? Many plans are in a person's heart, but the Lord's decree will prevail. You know, C.S. Lewis said this about uh, being wise. He said, the next best thing to being wise oneself is to live in a circle of those who are. I mean, your future, as the old saying goes, show me the people you hang around with and I'll show you your future. I mean, it's a saying, it's a colloquialism for a reason. It's because it's wise to see who are the people who are in your inner circle, who influence you well. We're going to talk about that a little bit more in a negative sense next week. So next steps in receiving wise counsel. How do you do this? How do you receive wise counsel? The first one is to take the position of a learner rather than a knower. You know, most of the most humble people that I know are highly successful, highly wealthy, highly capable, and I would never know it because they don't go off saying how much they have, how much they know, and how much they can help someone else. They're just humble people because they still have so much to learn. And we need to take that posture too. We need to say, we, we are a learner rather than a knower. Even if you've been an expertise in your field for so long, usually what happens is you just realize how much you do not know. And that is so humble. And so you and I need to take the position of a learner in our marriages, in our single lives, in our businesses, as leaders, as followers, as fellow church people, as Christians. Like we need to take, hey, teach me what I do not know teach me. And having the posture of a learner takes a lot of humility, but it is so, so helpful. Number two is also ask three people who are experienced, humble, and willing before you make your next big decision. All of us have big decisions. I'm going to give you a few of them. One of them is a massive, massive one. It has massive implications. So I'm I'm going to leave the names and people and associations out of this. One person I know uh, wanted to buy a house and it was in a particular neighborhood, and they weren't quite sure if they wanted to buy it yet. And they, they looked at all the things, and they thought they were going to do it. And then afterwards, they, they kind of asked around, and they were like, you know what? There aren't some things here that, that I didn't really see coming, so I'm not going to do it. So it was a wise decision on their part. Then I've had people who have come up and said, hey, I want to go to school for this or X, Y, and Z. And I say, hey, have you ever considered these other things, because they were just super excited to go into this one field. And I was like, hey, have you ever considered the cost? You know, I've been in the, the educational world for a little while. I know a lot of people. You should talk with these people before you make your decision. And they end up making a different one. And the third one is probably the most pivotal one, is that someone I knew was deciding whether or not to have their child. You know, they were getting counsel. Maybe you shouldn't have it. Maybe you should have an abortion. Or maybe you should keep it. Or maybe you should give it away. Or maybe you should be a mom. I mean, there were all these sorts of wisdom or at least voices that were telling them to do something. And luckily, you know, in my opinion, luckily, they decided, you know, to become a mom. And it was beautiful. But they might not have made that decision if they didn't have people who came alongside them and said, hey, before you make this massive decision, will you talk with us? It's a big deal. Then number third one, number third one, third one, gosh, develop a personal board of directors. You know, we have board of directors here. A lot of companies have board of directors. They find people or maybe they're people on staff. But we we almost never think of that in terms of ourselves. 
Like maybe you have two or three people. Again, don't be weird about this. Like don't go out and be like, hey, I'm getting some volunteers from our board of directors. We're going to meet every Thursday night for two or three hours. You know, we're going to go over me. You know, if you could just clear your schedule. Like don't do that. That would be weird. And no one's going to say yes to that. But you could do two or three people and say, hey, I want to get better at whatever it is. And I, I, I could use your wisdom. Could we meet every once in a while? You know, and maybe you can get two or three people that are an expertise in this field. And you kind of, before you know it, you kind of have a personal uh, board of directors. So the second one, the second one is silent and slow. So Solomon has a lot to say. As a person who wrote, as a person who spoke um, publicly a lot, because a lot of people would bring their problems uh, to Solomon, he actually had a surprising way of talking about not talking. And so he says this in Proverbs 29. He says, do you see a man who is quick with his words? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Do you know people like this? You're like, I'm sitting next to them. Like, they just don't, you know. People who just like, they can't wait to say something. I think it's Plato who said, wise men speak because they have something to say. Fools, because they have to say something. Like, you've met someone like that. And honestly, that might be you. Sometimes it's me. And I have to go, just don't, just don't talk. Like, don't say anything. Most of the time, I'm actually telling myself, don't mess this up. <laughs> don't mess this up. And you and I, there are times that just not saying anything would be the best. We've kind of brought this up before. You know, one of the places this happens is at funerals when people try to be pastoral and they try to be helpful and they say something and it's just so offensive and you're like, just show up and shake their hand. Give them a hug. Don't say anything. Or, you know, just in kind of an everyday life, we can't wait to share what we know or we can't wait to, to say, oh, you got a cool car. Well, I got a better car. You ever met someone like that too? They one-up you on everything. You got a job, I got a better job. You got a kid, I got a better kid. And you're like, okay, cool, cool for you. Maybe we just don't always need to say something. Proverbs 20 says this. Solomon says, even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he closes his lips, he is deemed intelligent. I really like this one. This one really helps me. And I was like, will people see me as smart, smarter if I just don't say anything? And maybe make some occasional nods and, hmm, hmm. You know, like I'm contemplating and really I'm like, I don't understand what they're talking about. So even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. And, you know, this, this kind of, uh, this principle is not housed just in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, James, uh, the brother of Jesus, he would talk about this too. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take, every, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak and, be, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. You know, we're far quicker. You know, and it's, it's, it's very sad. Compassion is slow. And anger is quick. That is a travesty in the world. It is so, takes so long for us to extend a hand of help or to extend a kind word. We have to think about it, but we are quick to be angry. We must think about it. We must be slow to become angry and slow to speak and quick to hear people. So here are maybe some next steps here. Next steps in silence and slowness. One, don't tell people what you think or feel all the time. Do you know how many fights you can not have by just doing this? How do you feel about this? Uh, how do you want me to feel about that? You know, I don't know. There are definitely times when people don't need you to fix anything. They don't need you to comment on anything. And to be frank, if, I know this is maybe harsh. Not all of us care about how someone feels about something else. Sometimes we do, but usually let someone ask, how do you feel about this? 
How does this make you, and you know what we almost never ask this question? We always ask, how did that make you feel? Do we ever ask, how does that make you think? No one ever asks that question either. Don't tell people what you think or feel all the time. Sometimes the best thing to do is just to listen. And you find out, kind of like my emails, when I don't answer them after two or three weeks, the problems just solve themselves, right? <laughs> it's usually because I'm on vacation, just to be clear. Bonnie used to work here, and so she, she knows that's not true all the time. But you don't have to always say something, and I don't have to always say something. Sometimes it's better just to let it go, to let it be. Number two, these are, these are bulleted, I know they're not numbered. Pause, reflect, and consider the consequences before you communicate. If this is something, if there is a moment that you do need to say something, there are fights worth having, there are comments worth saying, there are emotions worth sharing, there are times that you do need to say and feel something, and you need to communicate that, absolutely. We should not bottle it up inside. There are lots of counselors who would say that is the worst thing you could do is just to keep it inside all the time. I am not suggesting that. What I am suggesting is not everything that is important, if it's not important, you may not need to say what you think or feel about it, but when it is important, pause, reflect, and consider the consequences before you communicate. If you say something about how you feel and it has the potential to damage someone else, you have to be, as, as well as you can, you have to try to think, is this worth saying to harm them? Am I just trying to make myself feel better or do I want to damage them? Or if you're trying to communicate something hard that you're not trying to hurt someone, but you have to say something, you might have to like, understand how you're going to communicate that. What's my tone going to be? Should I sit down? You know, one of the things I do, I'm about six, two and a half. I like to say six, three, but I'm six, two and a half. That's what I am. But one of the things I often notice is that like, if I have something hard to say to someone, especially if it's a woman, I try to sit down because if I tower over them and talk about something, they might feel that I am demeaning or maybe I'm you know, chauvinistic. And so I have chosen, I don't always get this right, but I try to sit down. I try to like go, okay, I'm not going to tower over you. My wife is five, two. And if I just stand somewhere over her and she's like, dude, you're kind of big. And so I try to make sure like to, to settle down a little bit. I don't always get this right. But even your body language, and again, I don't always get this right, but trying to at least think about it like, what's my tone sound like? How is it going to land on them? How is it going to, even with you guys, you know, when I, when I talk about things, I, I try to really work on how I talk. Because I want to make sure that the consequences aren't too great. Or at least I'm not offensive in my approach. It's okay to be offensive with the gospel. I don't think it's okay to be offensive with your approach. All right, uh, number, bullet number three. Ask more questions before you arrive at a conclusion about someone. You know, this could save us a lot of time too. You know, a lot of times part of the reason we, we are quick to say something is because we think we really know what's going on. We think we know what that other person is going to say. We think we know where they're going in the conversation. We think we know what people want. We think we know what will solve their problems. And oftentimes, it's just not that simple. Oftentimes, they're giving you maybe a Reader's Digest version of it, a, a short version. And maybe if you just ask some questions like, hey, how, well, what happened in your last job? Or, you know, what would you like to get out of this new job? Or what are you thinking about, you know, when you made that decision? Or, you know, tell me about how you've been talking in your marriage. Like, what have you done? Like, you, you've, you've talked a lot about what they have done, but what, what have you done? What can you own? Like, what, what was your state of mind when you're thinking that way? What do you hope to accomplish in this conversation? You know, when you said that, 
did you ever think about how that would land on that other person? Sometimes we just ask, you know, what did you think was going to happen, like when you said that, right? But if you ask some questions like, how can I assist you? What could I do for you? How would you like me to approach this? Would you just like me to listen? Do you want me to solve a problem for you? Do you want me to just sit here and be with you? Like just asking questions before you arrive at a conclusion. And a lot of times this is really helpful when we perceive people from afar is that we look and we just go, we, we can judge their clothing, their appearance, and how they talk, and we've arrived at a conclusion about who they are before we know anything about them. And maybe we could ask some questions. And then the third one, by the time I got left, third one is mistakes and correction. Solomon talks about this in a lot of different ways, but this is like the one pivotal scripture about this. So it's Proverbs 26. As a dog returns to its vomit, so fools repeat their folly. It's a disgusting visual, right? And some of you know because you're like, yeah, my dog does that or my dog did do that. I have one of my, I have uh, three dogs and one of them comes in fourth in terms of which one I really like and she occasionally eats poop and it's disgusting. So I understand how gross this can be, but as a dog returns, it's, it's meant to be jarring. It's meant to be don't do this, but basically it's about repeated mistakes, you know, we could say it this way. You know, the difference between the wise person and the fool is not that one avoids mistakes. It's that one avoids correction. Those two are very, very different. I don't know about you, but the, the times in my life where I have been the most regretful as a Christian have been when I've done the same stupid thing, the same sin over and over, maybe just the same mistake. And mistakes and sin are different. Mistakes are probably something you did not intentionally plan to do. And a sin is something you know is wrong and against what God has said, and you do it anyways. You and I do both of those. But for the sake of this discussion, we'll just call them mistakes. And one of the things that I hate about myself, don't worry, it's not a cry for help. I'm okay, don't worry. I'm just saying is that the times that I'm like, I hate that I can commit this sin or this thing over and over and over again. And I feel like I, I need to get better at this. And maybe you have something that you realize about that too. But a couple things to note about this. You know, a foolish person makes the same mistakes because they avoid correction. And that would make me foolish. And sometimes maybe that make you foolish. But a wise person, a wise person makes new mistakes because they seek correction. You know, mistakes in themselves are not necessarily bad. It's how we learn. It's also how we make sure not to avoid bigger ones. But a fool will make the same mistake over and over and over and over and over again because they do not seek out wise counsel, correction, or just someone who said, hey, knock that off. But a wise person will say, hey, I, I know not to do this now. I'm going to do something else. And if I make a new mistake, then I won't make that mistake again, and they'll continue to move on. So next steps with this one is first is that, you know, ask others. This is a challenging question. Ask others what mistakes you make repeatedly and how you can correct them. This is so hard relationally because you and I are blind to our own repeated mistakes, sometimes. Sometimes we make mistakes and we go, I know I did that thing again. I know I'm probably gonna do it again in the future. I don't wanna do it again. I'm probably gonna fall back into it again. And those are bad. But then there are some that we have no idea we do them over and over and over and over again. And they affect people we love and care about. And you have to be careful with this question. Hopefully they don't bring out a list, like I'm so glad, you know, I've been waiting for so long. But especially the people you live with and especially the people you spend the most time with, hey, tell me, what do I do repeatedly? Maybe you haven't told me about or maybe you have told me about and I'm going to finally listen this time. 
And how can I correct him? Because I, I don't want this to happen anymore. Number two, Roy and I used to ask this question um, to ourselves all the time. We still, we still poke these around every once in a while. Ask yourself, what can I own and what did I learn? When you, make a, when you make a mistake or when you sin, if you want to take the more serious note of that, these two questions are so helpful. What can I own? What part did I play in this? Was it my tone? Was it, you know, my posture? Was it my decision-making? Was it my lack of decision-making? What was it? What can I own from this? And if you cannot come away from a mistake where you have owned something, you are immature. There's no other way to put it. Or you are, and I'm going to say us, we are immature or we are unwilling to take ownership. And that will kill a relationship faster than almost anything. If you cannot own your part, you can't go anywhere. And then what did I learn? What did I learn about this? So I'll give you maybe an example. You know, maybe, and this is not a real world example, so maybe it's with my kids, and I realize, like, I come home from work, I've had a long day, you know, I've been writing and being in meetings, I'm not at my best, and I get home, and my son wants to play Legos with me, and he comes into me, and I'm not paying attention because I'm on my phone, and I'm like, look, I'll be there in a minute. And he, like, goes, and he's sad, and I go, oh my gosh, I just yelled at him. And what I have to own here is that I treated my son poorly. He didn't deserve that. And maybe what I need to learn is to take some space before I come home to decompress so that when I'm finally home, I can just be present. What did I learn? What can I own? Very quickly. And the last one is being against making the same mistakes, but don't try to avoid making new mistakes. Only Jesus is perfect. You and I will continue to make mistakes. Be against making the same mistakes, but you will not be able to avoid making all mistakes. It's part of the reason how we learn. It's also how we grow. And so make sure to do both of those. Next week, I'm going to talk about one of the, the biggest things that, that people ask or biggest questions. Why do good things happen to bad people and why do bad things happen to good people? And we're going to talk about this next week as we talk about Job. Let me pray for us. I've got two quick things to say, and then we'll, we'll be out of here. Father, thank you for Solomon's wisdom. I know we went through a lot uh, today. I pray that we can at least take one or two of these to heart. There's nine pieces of advice here that are from Solomon. Lord, I pray that we take one or two or maybe all of them and we practice them and we see how our lives can become better when we're wiser. Lord, thank you for giving us the mind of your son, Jesus Christ, and your Holy Spirit. And thank you for giving us your scriptures so that we know what to do and what not to do. Help give us the willpower and the desire to follow you as best we can. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Two things real quick. A week and a half from now, we're going to have a membership class. For those of you who have been asking about it, we're going to do that. And so a little bit more details about it. Uh, we talk about it as being fully engaged here, is that if you were to sit down with Jesus, he wouldn't say, hey, good luck. You, got, you have your Christian card. Peace out. He would say, become a follower of me and continue to do that. So we're going to do that in a couple weeks. And then lastly, car show. There's a car show out there. Go out there. Don't touch the cars. Uh, unless the owners say you can. Have a great time. Thank you so much for being here. You are blessed in Christ. Have a great Sunday.